Hello, everyone. Welcome back to I See What You're Saying, the Disciplined Listening Podcast. I'm Michael Reddington, and today it is my pleasure to introduce our next guest, Ed Hart. Ed is the Senior Vice President of the Center for Family Businesses for First Bank. He is the host of the From the Heart podcast, and he has a special focus on family-owned businesses. And today, I really am excited to have this conversation with him so he can share the lessons that he's learned and the the perspective that he's developed from all of the resources, from his incredible network, from all of the companies that he's worked with, the families and the executives within family-owned businesses, and how he's seen them navigate some of the challenges, some of the tribulations, and honestly, some of the great opportunities they have as they commingle family and business on their professional journey. I'm really excited because there's plenty of takeaways in this conversation that we can all apply to our family lives, to our business lives, and wherever and however those two may overlap. Now, before we jump into it, I do want to make sure we thank our sponsors. First, Humantel. If you are interested at all in leveling up your communication techniques by understanding what people are likely thinking and feeling when you understand what their facial expressions of emotions are telling you in the context of any given situation, I highly recommend you head over to humantel.com and enter the code INQUASIVE25 for 25% off of all of their online training programs. I've done them all myself. I highly recommend it. Please take the time, go over there and look at what they have to offer. If you're interested in expanding your emotional intelligence toolbox, please head over to ei-magazine.com for Emotional Intelligence Magazine and check out all of their issues, articles, books, podcasts, training programs, cohorts, and more. All the resources you would want on emotional intelligence in one spot. And of course, for the professional interviewers in the room, please take a few moments and head over to certifiedinterviewer.com. And while you're there, you can go ahead and check out the International Association of Interviewers to see if the resources they have, the investigative resources, the legal resources, the networking opportunities, the training events, so much more, all the member benefits they have. See if those are right for you and your team. And of course, don't waste the opportunity to check out the certified forensic interviewer designation and see if that is a level of expertise you and your team are ready to attain. So thank you very much to Ed for being here. Thank you very much to our sponsors for making this happen. And of course, thank you all for taking the time to listen to these conversations. We do truly appreciate it. Without further ado, we bring to you, Mr. Ed Hart. Good afternoon, Ed. Man, is it great to see you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I sincerely appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike. It's great to see you again. It's nice to to be on this end of the mic. I you know, as you know, you and I've had the chance for you to be on my podcast twice. And so I, I liked coming into this with not having to do any prep and just just a chance to chat with you. So thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. My, it was my pleasure to be on your show both times. It's absolutely my pleasure to be able to flip the script and ask you a few questions. But honestly, based on those conversations, there wasn't a whole lot of prep for me for this either, just based yeah. on the conversations we've had before. And For me, I'm really interested to explore communication and listening and leadership as it relates to family businesses. But before we get into that, for our listeners who don't know you, if you don't mind, take as much time as you'd like just to kind of walk us through your journey and how you got to your current role. Sure. Well, I'll start with where I am now. So again, Ed Hart, excuse me, I'm a Senior Vice President with First Bank. We're headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, but my office is in Southern California, Newport Beach, California, to be specific. And um, 
We have locations uh, throughout the Midwest, mostly in Missouri. About 50% of our footprint is out there, and the other 50% is here in California, uh, SoCal, San Diego, up to Sacramento, San Francisco area. My main role, I, I, uh, I work in conjunction with our executive director, Joe Ambrose, out of St. Louis, running what we call the Center for Family-Owned Businesses. And about 90% of our clients or so at the bank are family-owned. We are a family-owned business as well. The, the Deerberg family has owned our bank since 1910. So we're 113, you know, nearly 114 years into this journey with the Deerberg family. Um, my role before this is I ran a center for family business as well at a local university here in California, California State University at Fullerton, uh, one of the largest business schools uh, west of the Mississippi. Ran that for 11 years. And I often said if I was ever going to leave that role, which I never thought I would, it's kind of funny. My career has been a, a, a bunch of, this is my last job. Nope, maybe not. Nope, this is my last job. Nope, maybe not. This is my last job. So I don't say that anymore. My previous job at Fullerton, I always said if I were going to leave, it would be to go be a, in a senior level position at a family owned business, which is what I'm now doing. So yeah, my main focus, Mike, is I'm working with family owned companies, um, helping them with anything from succession to conflict resolution, to leadership development, to bringing in outside experts who are experts in the financial um, arena, the legal arena, CPAs, you know, those aren't things that I do, but we have connections to those areas. We're, we're building a really strong bench of expertise in the family business arena, not just the hard skills that you need, but also a lot of the soft skills. Prior to that, I, uh, I was in business development at the University of Southern California. And I also worked as a professor for UC Riverside. So I've done a lot of years in the, I, my voice wasn't struggling until we got on this call. So, excuse me. I have that effect uh, on people sometimes. There you go. Yeah. You're choking me up, Mr. Redding. <laughs> you're choking me up. But um, at USC, I, I, I did um, business development on executive education programs for, for businesses of all types. But I, I gravitated really towards family businesses. There's something about a family running a business that really, really kind of floats my boat, if you will. I've worked for two or three family companies in the past. So I've seen what works. I've seen what doesn't work. I know some of the aches and pains that families face in trying to keep the family harmonious and the business successful. And so it's really just a, it really is a treat for me to get to work with these family companies and and uh, help them, you know, celebrate their their wins and their victories and their good times and help them through some of the tougher times. So it's uh, why I love what I'm doing. And there's more aspects of my career that maybe we can get into, but that's really how my family business... So, I worked in a minor league baseball organization for a few years, and that was family owned for one of the three years I was there. And so I got to see some of the some of the wonderful things that can happen in a family business. And again, some of the struggles that can happen as well. So now I make a living of trying to find resources for family companies. And it's uh, it's um, short of potentially playing first base for my Los Angeles Dodgers, which I never got to do. This is the dream, working with families and helping them out. Well, coming from a kid that wanted to play center field for the Boston Red Sox. For the Red Sox. There you go. That's right. <laughs> we share yep. that. And I would love to talk baseball with you. Fullerton yeah. being a big baseball school, your minor league baseball experience. We've talked yeah. baseball a lot before. Um, but I'm still heartbroken over Mookie Betts. So I don't know that I'm ready to talk baseball with you yet. I don't know how many years. Well, I'm I'm heartbroken over Mookie Betts, too, because we just got, uh, you know, by the time this airs, it's been a couple months. But, yeah, we just got swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks in the playoffs and Mookie didn't have a single hit. So, you know, Mookie contributed to us about as much as he did to the Red Sox in the postseason this year. Red Sox didn't go. And for all yeah. intents and purposes, we didn't either. 
We so. couldn't find it with a map. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you got my boy Justin Turner, which you know, kudos to you for for having uh, one of the best human beings on the planet. Former yeah, and from pleasure. all reports, he was an amazing guy all yeah. season long. Um, I went over with my like the teams I wanted to win in the first round of the playoffs. All four of them lost. So yeah. I'll, I'll be checking scores. I love baseball. I'll watch it. But yeah, all there four teams I wanted to see lose. Yeah. We should make a prediction because by the time this airs, the World Series will be over. It, it will. So right. right now, where we're sitting today, it's you know, there's still four teams alive. So get get it on get it on camera, then come back. There you go. Yeah, we'll go back and edit it. You know, we can have this big conversation about oh, I knew the Phillies were going to win, or I knew the Diamondbacks <laughs> or the Astros or the Rangers were going to win. So yeah. <laughs> No, I'm going to cough. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no me. worries. Well, as much as we could talk baseball, people are probably like, come on, Mike, you said you're going to talk about something communication related. So yeah. I would love to get back to the family business piece that you mentioned. And there yeah. are roughly a thousand ways we can go. But I think one of the great places to start would be trying to maintain that harmonious balance between the family relationships and the business relationships. And yeah. there's many ways that that can certainly be strained. But I think probably the the first question in this area that I would like to ask is, how have you seen, well, let me ask it this way, for the families that have kept that harmony the best, balanced it the best, what have they done? How have they either structured their relationships or communicated with each other in order to achieve that harmony more often than not? Yeah, it's funny. As you were asking the question, I already kind of started to formulate an answer. Um, and you hit, you you sort of answered the question in the question, and that is communication. And, you know, I'm a big believer that the best way to avoid surprises in any relationship is to communicate. And um, I think the families that it, it's easy for me to start with where have families struggled and then kind of reverse that Do the it. families that have struggled. The communication's not there. I've, I've talked to family businesses. I'm not going to name names, but there's a family business here in, in on the Western region that they're dear friends of mine. Um, they're in the hospitality industry and, you know, when I met them 12, 13 years ago, the son, I think, was probably, I would say, late 50s. So I'm 59 now, so about the age that I am now. And dad was in his 80s running the company. And I just asked the son, so what's what's the succession plan? He goes, I don't know. That's 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 a question for dad. So I asked dad, he goes, they'll figure it out when I'm gone. And so great family, run very, the business has run really well. But what what has happened now in that business is that since they haven't really talked about succession, now the 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 kids, if you will, the 60-somethings are ready to retire, yet dad's still running the company. So not saying that's a recipe for disaster, but in that case, it's actually kind of worked because now the next gen's coming in behind them, the, you know, they skipped a generation, if you will. But I really do think that that key is to just communicate, be open, be transparent. Herb Kelleher, the old uh, chairman of Southwest Airlines, when he talked about the success, you know, what it takes to be a successful business leader transparency was one of those things that he talked about a lot. Make sure your people know, you know the good that's happening, the bad that's happening. If we're having a bad quarter, let's talk about it so we can fix it. And in families, if if um, the, the, the thriving families I've seen, it's just open communication. Mom and dad and the kids and whoever is involved in the business are, are continuously in conversation and discussion about how business is going. What do the kids need to do to get ready to take over? which kid is kind of being, you know, targeted, if you will, for being the successor. So really that, like I said, your, your question of, you know, communication, I kind of think is, is not the only, obviously, but one of the key answers is just talk about it. 
make sure you're having those conversations. You know, the old proverb of what's the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. I think the same is true with, with succession and, and, and thriving through conflict. You can't, you can't resolve conflict or eliminate conflict, but you can thrive through it. You can use that conflict to, to grow, um, is to communicate about it. Just be, just be very open about your plans. Hey, Johnny, you know, before you can take over the business, I think you need to go work five years somewhere else. Susie, I think you need to go get an MBA. Um, you know, go to trade associations. One of them, one of my favorite things that a lot of family businesses do that are successful. And then I'll stop my answer here is, um, they get really involved in their community. The, the, the strongest family businesses I know are deeply philanthropic. Not just, not just that it shows generosity, which it certainly does, but it also, also shows that they, they have a heart for service. They have a heart for other people. They're not just in it for themselves and their company. And I serve on, on three or four nonprofit boards right now. And in addition to my favorite thing being the causes where I get to serve, and we can go into those later if you'd like, um, it's the people I get to meet. I get to, I get to rub shoulders regularly with executives from a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries. And so not only are we serving this particular or those particular nonprofits together, but I'm learning from CEOs of large food service companies and manufacturing companies and hospitality companies and distributors and companies in all different industries. And so that's only going to make me better as a leader as well, that I'm rubbing shoulders with these folks. So Talk to each other, communicate, and get out there and serve. I mean, those are the, if I had a soapbox, those are the things I'd be shouting from if I stood on top of it, so. And the, the points are well taken. And honestly, probably like many things we'll talk about today, they apply to all businesses. Sure, You just sure. apply in specific ways or maybe more important ways or more unique ways to family businesses. And while I've, I've certainly worked with family businesses, not nearly to the level that you have. And in some of the conversations I have, in fact, I was just working with a client last week in the, here in the Southeast, where I feel like to your point about communication, one of the reasons why they don't is fear of the potential repercussions. Sure. Either I don't have all the answers yet, or they're not going to hear what they want, or I haven't made up my mind. And that fear ends up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, I'm afraid of this thing happening, so I will take no action until that thing eventually happens anyway. Right. And, and then I have to deal with it. So again, from your experience, have you seen any particular approaches or structures or conversations work well? to help family leaders navigate through the fear of, you know, not only could this conversation negatively impact me at work, it could negatively impact me at home too. And I don't want that. Sure. Yeah. A few things come to mind. I mean, certainly it, it goes back to the relationships, you know, that we watch a guy take a handoff and run 80 yards for a touchdown. And we think, wow, that guy's a star. What we didn't see is all the work that he put in all those, you know, sprints and the weightlifting and the practices that he's been doing since he was eight years old. We see a 28-year-old running back run 80 yards for a TD and think, wow, you know, that guy, he's amazing. What we don't see in 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 great communication and business is all the work that went on behind the scenes and for years before. Um, I love talking to family businesses that I know now and say, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about what you did with your dad when you were five years old and 10 years old. I mean, I look back, you know, my dad passed a couple of years ago and we were really close. We never ran a business together, but if we did, I think it, 
in a lot of ways, the successes that well, there would have been some downsides too, obviously, but the successes we would have had would have been the trust and the relationship that we built from the time I was a kid. And that was on him. I mean, he just was so good at, tell me about your day, son. You know, what, what, what went well at school today? What, what'd you learn from the other kids in school? What did your teacher teach you that, that made an impact on you today that you've been thinking about at recess and on your way home? And, you know, what just having that open line of communication, it's funny, we just keep going back to communication. It's your expertise. And it's certainly a, a hot button for me too. The other thing that I think works really well, and I don't mean this to be a plug for what we do at First Bank or anything else, but oftentimes you need to bring in outside advisors. You need that third party that's neutral, that's almost like an arbitrator, if you will. You know you know that line of work. I mean, you've been the third party throughout your career, you know, making a living being the third party. Um, you know, there's a, there's a proverb in the Old Testament that talks about, you know, that there's so much more success when you have counselors or you have advisors. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not a I'm not a scriptorian, but I, I know this I know the scripture. I just don't know it word for word. But um I really do believe that there's a lot to be said for bringing in somebody outside. You know, it helps to helps to smooth the waters when they need to be smoothed, and it helps to kind of make sure both sides are really equally understood. And I think to your point earlier, too, one of the reasons why maybe conversations don't happen is you know, maybe, yeah, maybe I don't have all the answers and I maybe found out that imposter syndrome is really big. The other is sometimes there might be things I don't want to talk about that the other person might bring up and I'm not either ready to have the conversation or it just is too emotional for me, or I might be found out, whatever that case might be. So I just think that keeping that line of communication, communication open is, is really the key. And really, again, goes back to, you know, hopefully the communication has been there since you were a child. And if not, you know, just, really active listening, the skills that you teach, you know, really being an active listener and really observing what people aren't saying. I've learned a lot from you, from the communications we've had on the two podcasts we've done prior to this, and also just in, you know, other things we've done together over the last few years, um, really to to watch and observe what people aren't saying. I've, I think I've become better at that because of you. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Outside a- advice, uh, bringing in just that neutral party. We we constantly strive to uh, and encourage our clients and our prospects and family businesses who will listen to us from any walk of life to you know, bring in a third party if you have to. Not because it's going to be a, not a judge or somebody that's going to like, okay, yeah, you made three good points. You made four good points. We're going your way. But just to help make sure that each person is is heard and understood and and most importantly, listened to. Yeah, and sometimes that's easier to do when you have a neutral observer. Now, hopefully sure. the neutral observer with the right background and the right frame of mind who has done a good enough job building situational awareness and understanding what goals we're trying to achieve and who we're trying to achieve them with. But with that backdrop, if they can be a neutral observer and filter some of that emotional out, now they can be more of a mediator and, and tease the truth and the collaboration out yeah. of both participants And I think you made a really good point, too, about not wanting to start a conversation because, yeah, there's the imposter thing, which is very real for a lot of us. But there's also there's things I don't want to get into. Right. So I don't want to start talking to my son about financials because I know he's going to bring up succession planning and I'm not ready to have that. I don't want to start talking to my son about succession planning because I know he's on a three year plan and I'm on a 10 year plan. Right. I don't want to explain to him the seven year difference. I just don't want to do it today. But like so many things in life, what we see is the earlier and the more consistent we start communicating our way through issues, the smaller and the more manageable those issues become. And yeah. 
for any business, certainly it's different with family dynamics. For any business, if the expectations aren't aligned and it's just not a fit, well, then somebody might find another opportunity. And yeah. plenty of times that's not what we want. Sometimes it ends up being the best for everybody. I had a, just being involved with a different group, had a conversation with a woman who is a second generation CEO for a large business here in the Carolinas out in the, out in the mountains. And she was saying that early on in her career, her and her father's expectations weren't aligned. And to your yeah. point, one of the things you mentioned earlier, she said, okay, well, I'll just go work somewhere else. Yeah. And instead of trying to talk her out of it, he encouraged her to do it. Sure. Well, after whatever it was, six, seven years, the conversation starts turning to, is this the right time for us to get back together? She comes back into the business with an updated set of experiences and expectations, as does he after seeing her success outside right. of the business. And now his timetable becomes faster, still not quite as fast as hers, but mm -hmm. she's, by the time I'm having the conversation with her, she's in charge of the business and that's a way to do it. So the, I guess, and I would love your thoughts on this, especially with the family dynamic. Um, Cause it's one thing to have a conversation only in the conference room table. It's another thing we sure. have to have at the kitchen table too. hundred percent. But the the more frequently we can have the conversations and the sooner we can have them over like the time frame of the issue, then the more manageable we keep it and the stronger we keep the relationships. Yeah, it's funny because I, 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 I've seen families that have been so successful. I guess what I'm leading to is there's no one size fits all for all of mm -hmm. this. Some families I know never talk business at home. You know, when the office door closes and you lock the door behind you, the business stays behind that locked door and everything after that is just family time. Business doesn't come up. And I think that's really healthy. On the flip side, I know a lot of very successful families where their conversation at dinner time can be around the family. Not not core and focused only on that, but, you know, it's it's an open topic to talk about all the time. And I think that goes back to just the relationship the two people have. Um, you talk to people who are adopted, you know, what's it like to be adopted? When did you find out you're adopted? Ah, you know what? I never really, I never really had a conversation with it. I've just always known. Or, you know, when did you know you were in love? Well, you know, I, I can't remember the moment we fell in love because I can't remember not being in love with her. You know, when did you know that you were going to go into the family business or when did you first learn about, it? yeah, it's just something we always talked about at the dinner table. It's just, we grew up in it. We, you know, I've got family businesses. I could rattle off names and, and examples of companies that, and individuals that they were doing data entry with dad when they were eight years old and licking and sealing envelopes and mailing them. And they were going into the office and filing or taking out the trash and just the family business. You know, we always say, are we a business family where business comes first and it's business, business, business. And, you know, it, it supports the family and there's nothing wrong with that if it's managed correctly. Or are we a family business that, hey, we're family first and you know, we can always create a new company, but we're not going to tear up the family, which obviously that's where I lean. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm talking in circles so much. I don't remember your question, but just the thought I'm having is I think that it's important in anything. Just keep the line of, I mean, I, I hate to just harp on an hour of just saying the word communication over and over, but it really, uh, di divorces happen because communication stopped and relationships sour because communication stopped and friendships end because of a miscommunication or a misunderstanding. Family businesses are the same. They're not, they're not um, immune to that as well. I mean, the, the family businesses that I've seen fail are because they just didn't have open, open communication. You know, we teach a lot. You, you talked about succession and about you know, leaving, I, I kind of teed it up and then you, you hit the ball from there. But 
Um, we encourage most family businesses, and there's always that one that depends, but most to, you know, encourage their children to go get a college education, then go get a job somewhere else. You know, learn the business growing up so they know a little bit about the company, but then go get that education, go get that experience, learn how to work with someone who's not dad or mom or cousin or sibling or older generation in the family. You know, get a couple raises, get a couple promotions, you know, learn maybe a completely different industry and then try to bring some of that knowledge. Or, or if you're lucky enough to get a job at another company kind of in your industry, that's even, that's great because then you're learning the industry. And then if you're coming back, it's like you come back with this expertise, this education, this experience, this this maturity of having grown up in it a little bit. Uh, that's a really good scenario if you can make that happen. But then there's also others where it's a specialty field and it's a specialty company. And you can only really thrive in your organization if you've been in it for 30 years. And in that case, don't go outside. Don't go work for someone else. It's just, I hate to say it depends, but it depends. <laughs> Saying oh, it, it does. Anyway. It yeah. definitely does. I try not to laugh when I'm teaching and somebody says to me, well, Mike, how do I talk to person X about Y topic? Yeah. Depends. <laughs> right? Yeah. I can give you a bunch of ideas, but what's your yeah. goal? Who are you talking to? What's the context yeah. of the situation? There's a lot more to yeah. to put into consideration than just, oh, this is what you say. And I think understanding what what's the what's the goal? You know, I I've I've done a lot of process improvement um programs with clients and employees where I've worked over the over the 37 years or so of my career. And one thing that I do, and I just did it recently with a company a week or two ago, is we created an impact statement. And the the dad and the son were saying, look, we're just not in in, in the relationship. We're just not where we'd like to be, you know? And, and they, they they gave a few examples. And I said, you know, let's, let's get a flip chart out and let's do an impact statement here. So first we just go, what's the current situation? Well, our current situation is we just don't feel like we can talk about. There's certain topics that we don't talk about because it, it brings up emotion. You know, they have different religious beliefs. They have different sports teams. They have different philosophies on raising kids. They have different different philosophies on where the business should be 10 years from now. So the current situation is all these things that we laid out. And then the second phase was, okay, write down what the impact of that is. What's the impact of your current situation? Well, we're, we don't talk about big things or little things. We don't spend holidays together. I mean, they listed out all these impacts of, of their current situation. Then the next phase, when you, I'm probably preaching to the choir here on talking to this about, about this with you, but for those that don't know, the third step is, okay, let's now identify what the desired situation is. Well, the desired situation is that we're on the same page on these things. We can have these open communications. We can sit at a sporting event together and have different opinions and, and be okay with it. Then the fourth is, what would the impact of that be? And so really identifying where are we today? What are the big deal issues that are coming from that? Where would we like to be? And and that pixie dust or, you know, here's what we'd like it to look like and what the impact would be. I've done that with a lot of family companies and a lot of individuals where I've worked over the years as well um, to really start thinking in terms of, okay, what we're doing now ain't working and here's evidence. What we'd like is this. And man, if we could get to that, imagine what life would be like every day. And so- that's one tool that, that I've used and that can be an effective tool to help people kind of get out of the problems of today and into solutions. And having a solution mindset is so different than having a problem mindset. And what it opens us totally. up to and what we can see and having yeah. that, working from that impact backwards. This is what we want right. it to feel like. This is what we want people thinking and doing. How do we work backwards from there? Such a 
a profound difference in working through issues yeah. that way than just saying this sucks so bad right now. I wish it would yeah. stop. Well, it's not going to. So that's yeah, so that's that old, um, you know, song. Imagine Paul McCartney was it Paul McCartney. Am I getting the right Beatle? I think it was John Lennon, but John I'm Lennon, you're right. It is authority on the Beatles. Yeah, so. it was John Lennon. You're right. It was John Lennon. Imagine. I mean, it's all about imagining a world, you know, that's, you know, where this is happening. I mean, it's not, not wishing it to happen, but imagining it and creating it. Yeah. And the, as I was listening to you talk about the roles and the expectations, this is going to be maybe the silliest story that I've ever shared and certainly doesn't align with, with the family business necessarily. But I remember early in my career when I just happened to have a part-time job that was catching shoplifters. A buddy of mine brought me on to work with him. It was fun, whatever. Um, my buddy Mark and I might have been several degrees more aggressive in how we pursued shoplifters than my district manager wanted us sure. to at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember my district manager, who is still a friend of mine as well, being with me one day where somebody had been in the store earlier. I was by myself. I couldn't apprehend them stealing. So I basically just made myself obvious until they gave it up and left. Yeah. It came back that afternoon. And now my manager and my district manager are there. And I just point him like, that guy's stealing. Here's what he's going to steal. Here's how he's going to do it. He's stealing. Tell me when he leaves. And as I start walking, my district manager immediately informs me on all like the necessary steps we're supposed to follow that we didn't follow. And I look at him I'm like, so, and us having the relationship that we did, he said, great, you can go stop him stealing. If he's stealing, you can keep your job. If he's not, you're fired. And me being yeah. me, you better be age, right. Yeah. At that yeah. age, I'm like done. So I go yeah. grab the guy who was stealing more than we initially thought we were stealing. I bring him back. And then my district manager took me out to the lunch after that and talked about how a lot of times when you're the one taking action, it's different than when you're the one supervising people taking action. Like your risk mm -hmm. tolerance is different. Your situational awareness is different. Your field of vision is different. And I listened yeah. to that. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. That's a good point. Well, fast forward only several months later, I managed, after almost getting fired, I managed to get promoted into a managerial role and I moved several states away and I've got a team and they were great at that aspect of their job and they were pretty aggressive too. So you think that would be a good fit. But now that I leave the team, I'm watching them about to go out and make a move on a group of people. And I'm thinking to myself, a real quick check of the calculus. You got a different perspective the, now. Yeah. I'm calling yeah. everybody back. So yeah. I call them all back in and maybe they did steal that day, but let them walk. They'll be back. Yeah. And my new team lays into me mm. about how I let them down and I chickened out and they knew they had them and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I really found myself struggling to say, guys, I used to take risks that would make that look like a walk at the beach. But yeah. now that I'm responsible for you, I can't let you put yourself in that position. Of course, I didn't tell them that. And I knew it would take me months to build their trust anyway. Yeah. And we ended up telling some of those stories over time. So when I hear you talk about aligning like the son's perspective with the dad's perspective, yeah. for me, that story comes to mind with the added element of now we have conflicting roles. So if somebody is the CEO in the business and the father at home, under many like traditional family structures, the father's the CEO in both worlds. Right. So now you have the son who is the son at home, and let's just say the EVP at work or whatever the title is. So 
in many traditional family structures, he's the subordinate in both as well. Right. So to try to get the father, and I'm being stereotypical with this, yeah, mission, of course, father daughter, you know, but we use father son because that's you know historically oh, where we've been, yeah. So now for the person in the superior position to begin to allow the subordinate to take that superior role in influence or title, that conflicts with everything they've experienced their entire life. Like it's a literal relationship paradigm shift and it can be hard to separate the two. Have you seen any examples where they navigated that process better that we can all learn from? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have. And I, I, there are so many things that come to mind that I've seen work and others that I've read about and even written about that I think could work. Um, you know, giving somebody opportunities to make small decisions. So that number one, so let's just say, I'll just, I'll, I'll stick, stick with the tradition. This is as hypothetical, but my son and I don't run a business together, but if we did, he's 38. Okay. Yeah, two, two steps on his Justin's 38, Michael's 36. So let's say that Justin and Michael and even my daughters too all work with me, but I'll, I'll think of my oldest son just for the sake of this conversation. I'm running the company, you know, hypothetical incorporated. Okay. And I'm the CEO and I'm the patriarch here in the home and everything else. Um, if I were to give Justin just a few areas where he could make the decisions, number one, it frees me up a little bit, um, which is nice because it takes a couple things off my plate. It gives him an opportunity to make some decisions on things that are not going to crash the, you know, you, you let the co-pilot take the controls for a few minutes. If he totally messes up, the plane's not going to crash. You know, I need to step back in and take the controls and be fine. So maybe it's not going to be, you know, don't give him that decision right now. His first decision out of college that could crash the company into the ground, but gives him an opportunity to make some decisions and build his own confidence also, the thing that I'm leading up to, one of the things that I really like in, in companies, we do a lot of work with advisory boards, fiduciary, as well as just advisory boards. Companies that I think have really been thriving in, in this succession and that transition of leadership that you're alluding to, um, their kids, even when they're younger, give them an opportunity to sit in on, on board meetings, create a junior board, you know, like maybe an advisory board of all the teenage cousins in the family that could potentially come into the business. Some of the larger family businesses I work with, there are many, you know, dozens in some cases of cousins that are potentially coming into the company. Give them chances to make decisions on what activities are we going to do at the next family reunion? What's the newsletter going to look like? You know, what's the, you know, one family I work with here in Orange County in Southern California, the kids under 18 make all of the, every single decision on philanthropy for the business. You know, it's like, like you guys decide, you know, eventually as the adults, we have to rubber stamp it, but we want the discussions and the, and the, the brainstorming and ultimately the decision to be at that 18 years old and younger. Once you turn 19, you're not in those conversations anymore. You've got other conversations, but giving them opportunities to make decisions in some of the small things so that, yeah, it frees you up. More importantly, it, it encourages them. They start to feel confident in their decision-making ability. Um, yeah, I, I, I in in some ways, Michael, I, I wish that there was a, a one size fits all that works for everybody because it would make our jobs easier. But if that were the case, I wouldn't have a job. So, you know, I mean, it's just it's it's really paying close attention to what works in other companies so that you can try some of those things on in in the companies you're working with. So, yeah, I just think giving them it's just like parenting. You've got you know you're 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 a parent. You've got a you know what one or two young kids. 
I have one son, yes. Yeah, one son. You give him opportunities to make some decisions. You give him some chores that you know he can handle. Um, you're there. There's a great story in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey, one of my all-time favorite leadership and life books. Um, he walks out into the front yard with his son, Covey does, and the yard's a mess, and it's just toys everywhere, and it's, you know, grass is overgrown, and Covey points at the neighbor's lawn and says, you see that lawn over there, son? Yeah. What do you notice? He goes, I've noticed, Dad, that it's clean and it's green. Okay, that's your benchmark. When I get home tonight or over the weekend, whatever you know, whatever the time frame is, your objective is to make our yard look clean and green. Now, I'll give you the tools. If you need a lawnmower, I'll get it for you. You need me to help you out, I'll help you. But you are empowered to make our yard clean and green. And so give our kids, give that next generation, give them some, something to look at so they know what they're aiming for. You know, a, a benchmark, a, an example, a role model of, of behavior or of, of appearance or whatever it is you're trying to create. And then make sure that you just provide those tools and resources. As simple as I'll help you take the trash out to, you know what, we have our executive committee meeting next week. I want you to run it, you know, or we've got to make this big decision on, you know, an executive vice president. And I want you to lead the recruiting and make the decision on who we hire. So just giving them opportunities with the little things so they can prove themselves and gain that confidence. And next thing you know, it's like, I asked somebody on a podcast recently, what was the biggest decision you made as a next gen in your family business? And she shared a story with me of, of a big decision. I said, when did you know you were ready for that? She goes, after I made the decision. <laughs> well, when did dad know you were ready? I think when he gave me a chore when I was seven and I did it, I think that his confidence level in me started to grow. So dad knew when time she was seven, she made this decision at 45. But, you know, it's just goes back to what's it like to be a twin? I don't know. You know, I've always been, or, I've, you know, it's just, you just, you just are knowing that, you know, you have that ability or not to make those decisions. That's a great way to look at it. And, and several great examples in there. And for me too, I, whenever possible, and a lot of times, you know, we talk about time being the enemy of empathy and not having patience to really get through some of the conversations right. and create future opportunities that we need to but really working with people to develop their problem-solving skills and interrogating their thought process. Like how many times did, did they, were their intentions right? Did they have the right outcome in mind or they had the right priorities in mind? But for whatever reason or reasons, the final idea they chose or the way they executed it was poor. So yeah. we end up coaching the outcome instead of the thought process where that thought process could likely be repeated in any number of conversations for any number of issues at any level of scale throughout their career and roles that they'll have within the organization. So even at a young age, now what are we doing to help establish the problem solving, the, th the thought process that we know they will need? Honestly, as parents, as our kids just grow into successful adults, but especially yeah. in family businesses, we've got a very clear eye as the problems we typically run into, the people we typically have to work through, the things we need to solve. Cool. So now, whether they're cleaning the yard or whether they're coming up with some initiative or maybe they're planning a retreat or whatever it is early on, yeah. how are we working? And I say this rhetorically, of course. Yeah. How are we working to help them develop the thought process and problem solving skills they need to be successful at every level, which is likely what that father was doing with his daughter when right. he realized that however old that she was going to be able to make this decision 
30 years down the road because yeah. she was developing the problem solving processes necessary to do it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, our, our responsibility, I believe as parents and as leaders in the community and our families is to help grow the next gen and that next gen, I don't mean that necessarily in a family business, but literally just the next generation, our kids, the kids in the neighborhood, um, you know, you want your plant to grow. You've got to make sure it gets the proper sunlight. You got to make sure it gets the right water, the right, you know, soil, the right, you know, everything that it needs to grow. It's our responsibility. You know, my wife loves growing. She, she, she raises monarch butterflies. She has this beautiful rose garden out this window here outside my office that I, every now and then I'll go out, you know, to the backyard and look out there just to see the beauty of it. Um, and she does just a fantastic job of, of, you know, she's raised our kids. She's now, you know, helping our kids raise their kids and actively involved in their lives. And that's another thing, just stay actively involved. You know, that, that, um, that fly by dad thing just doesn't work. You know, I'm going to go work 80 hours a week and I'm going to pop in on Saturdays and, and teach the kids. Well, you know, yeah, sure. Whatever. I used to travel a lot. I mean, I still do from time to time. I'm getting ready to go out on some trips now for work and a little bit of pleasure too, but I traveled for business a lot when the kids were all young. And, um, you know, the hardest thing about that was just being away. But the even bigger hard thing for my wife and for the kids was, you know, they would get into this routine of, you know, we were homeschooling at the time. So this routine with the kids Monday through Friday, all day long into the evening. And then dad comes home on Friday night. And I'm either the guy that just wants to play on the floor and have fun, or I try to be that disciplinarian and come in and, you know, make an impact on something that happened on Tuesday on Saturday when I'm working with these young aunts, this doesn't work. So staying consistent in their lives, constant communication. There we go. There's that word again. Um, as you were talking, I jotted down a note of the difference between recognition and acknowledgement. Someone shared with me last week or a week or two ago is, you know, we recognize behavior. The kid comes home with a report card and it's all A's. I recognize him or her for all of those A's. Here's $20 per A. Great job. You got A's. And I focus on the A or I think more effective. Hey, you know what? I really saw the effort you put in and, you know, the grades are great and that's wonderful. And that's going to help you get into college and everything else. But, you know, you busted your tail, you did the work, you did the homework, you stayed up late, you did the research, you know, and, and I think we do better as human beings when our efforts are acknowledged than we do when just the results are, are recognized. I think it's important that we acknowledge the progress rather than just recognizing and rewarding the behavior or the end result. I agree entirely. I mean, at some point we're all held accountable for the results. I don't want to get away from that. But when we're talking about coaching and developing people and leaders, I couldn't agree more. And I would like to believe that that example not only works for all of us as parents, but also is we're raising those next gen leaders in our organization, whether they're next gen by blood or external hire. Yeah, as we're raising those next gen leaders. I want them to feel comfortable making the decision or not even comfortable. I want them to feel confident making the go. decisions I need them to make when they need to make them. So if I'm acknowledging their effort, if I'm acknowledging their thought process, if I'm acknowledging their process, especially if I'm acknowledging things that they might not even realize that they did, they said, they saw, yeah. now I'm bringing it from the subconscious to the conscious. They can rely on it later. And that makes such a big difference when the time comes to hand the reins over, which is especially difficult for people who built their own business. Because now that business isn't just a business. It's an extension of me. So yeah. I'm letting myself go to somebody else to run and carry this thing on. Let's focus on developing that confidence before the time comes. 
you know, the there's words that I there's a leader that I've worked with over the years um, that has done a lot of things great, but two phrases that he has shared with his kids, and I've watched him raise his family and now in the business. I knew him before I knew them as a business leader, and I've known them in the family business as well. The words were, you know what impressed me the most was dot, dot, dot. So it shows that, you know, you know, little Johnny, you know what impressed me the most in that decision you made was that when you did this. And and the second one is, and you know what I learned from that? And I think if we can teach our kids and our next gen blood or otherwise, to your point, you know, let's say that you work for me, I run the company and you're my senior vice president of, of marketing. We're not related, but you know, Michael, what impressed me the most in that meeting we had with that customer was when you said this and then talk about it. <clears throat> and you know what I learned from that is that with this other client where I'm having an issue, I think I'm going to take what I learned from you in that conversation of what you said and try that with this other client. I think that will really work. Number one, it shows tremendous humility on the CEO or the dad, you know, that leader, that person speaking me in this, in our little story role play here. But how, how did you feel when I was sharing that with you? What emotions came up for you when I said those things to you? Uh, pride, satisfaction, surprise, potentially gratification, all of those things. Yeah. And, and just, I think that we are in a society where we want to tear people down. I mean, every, if you want to be torn down, turn on the TV, turn on the radio, get on a phone call, go talk to you know, your neighbor that you're in a contentious relationship with. I mean, it's so easy. There's so many things out there vying for our attention. And there's so many things out there looking to knock us down. And if that, if we see that with us, imagine how the people around us feel. And I, I just, if I were the CEO of a company, I'm not, I mean, I'm CEO of Ed Hart Incorporated, you know, my company, my family, and, you know, really I'm, I might be CEO, but my wife's the chairman. I mean, she, you know, it's a, <laughs> Sounds you know, familiar. yeah, there you go. That's what I say. The, the husband is the head of the family, but the wife is the neck and the neck can't move or the head can't move without the neck controlling it. So, but no, I think that the opportunities that we have for those of us who have an impact on others. And that's everybody. I mean, that's, you don't have to be a dad or a CEO or a mom or a, a leader in a company to have impact on others. Just acknowledge people say, you know, Johnny, what I learned from that. And, and I was so impressed when you went over and handed your toy to little Billy, you know, he, he wanted to play with your blocks and you didn't want him to, but what dazzled me a little three-year-old Johnny is when you went over and said, here, Billy, play with this. I mean, just, and I learned that I need to do a better job of sharing too. And sometimes I don't share with you, or sometimes I don't share with mom, or sometimes I don't share with people I work with. So yeah, just recognizing, I'm getting emotional thinking about this. I mean, I, you know, I don't think about this often, and maybe that's why I'm getting emotional about it, because it's, I'm talking to my, I'm looking on my screen right now, talking to me, um, recognizing and, 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 and appreciating people's behavior. And then really the next more powerful is, and here's what I learned. I, and that's huge because now if I wanted to be pessimistic or if there was any crack in our relationship, yeah, sure. You were impressed by that, whatever. But as soon as you say, here's what I learned and how I think I might apply it. Now that takes that example to an entirely different level. Yeah. Now I can't explain it away. It immediately feels more valid and assuming at any point in time, I witness you attempting to apply what you said you learned from me. Yeah. Now that's carved in stone. So that well, aren't we all at the end of the day, trying to make sure that we make an impact 
helps. And if we hear somebody share, literally share with us the impact that we made on them, and here's what I'm going to do about it. And then to your point, we see them do it. That's pretty cool. And then to come back and say, you know, I learned that from you. I mean, I, you know, nothing makes me happier in life than when my wife shares with me something that I did or said that made an impact on her and that she went and maybe modified or changed her behavior in an area based. And I do it with her all the time. I mean, she shares some of me. It's like, wow, I didn't really think about that. I should probably have that, more of that approach. So, yeah. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery, like they say, right? It is. It definitely is. <laughs> yeah. So to bring the conversation back to the the business aspect, just for a moment, there was something I was curious about that I wanted to ask you that hasn't just naturally come up in the conversation. And that is the dynamic between family leaders and non-family leaders within the organization. I haven't worked with nearly as many family businesses as you have. Most of them, as you go up the org chart, there are family members that populate that. And then there are non-family members that populate that. And sometimes they get along fantastic. Sometimes the non-family members carry a lot of weight and have a lot of trust. And sometimes the non-family members feel like there's one set of rules for the Smiths and there are another set of rules for the rest of us. Right. Um, so, and I'll, I'll take this either way you want or both, you know, kind of how we started the conversation, unsuccessful or successful marriage of the two. But in your experience, how have you seen that dynamic play out and what are some lessons we can take from it? So I worked for about three or four different family businesses before I got into this family business space full time. And as I mentioned at the beginning, one of the reasons why I do this now is because I've seen what successful family businesses have done, and I want to try to emulate that with others. But even more powerfully, I've seen what doesn't work. I, I say I like to say I've worked with the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, I've worked for a couple of really good families who that communication is great. It, you don't have to be a Smith to move up the corporate ladder. It, it's merit based. If you're, you know, little Johnny doesn't get to take over the CEO role because he's a Smith. You know, it might be Bill Jones who's taking over. It doesn't have anything to do with it. And so I worked for that family business where it was merit-based. And, you know, you moved up based on your performance and your ability and your education and everything else. I worked for the bad where if your last name wasn't, I'll keep using Smith. Sorry, Smith. My bad. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the Smith. The Smiths are just getting a bad <laughs> rap here. You know, it's funny because my my mom's side of the family, she's an Enright, but she married into, my grandma married into the Smith family. And there's my family business roots go to a Smith coffee shop in Lake Tahoe. And that's another oh, wow. conversation for another day, but we'll so I can pick on, I can pick on Smith's because it's sort of in the family. Um, well, I'm sorry, you know, Ed, you're not a Smith. You've reached the top. You've hit the glass ceiling. The high as you can go in the company, you can't be a manager or above cause your last name's not Smith. Smith's are the ones who manage this company. It's a Smith can't, company. And so that was kind of the bad. The ugly was when, you know, so I've worked for that company where you could, you could move up the ranks based on your qualifications, your experience, successes in the organization. I've worked in that company where you hit that glass ceiling. And then I've worked for the company where people are put into leadership roles only because their last name is Smith. Again, sorry, Smiths. But, um, you know, and that just, that was the reason I left the bad and the ugly companies because I knew either I've gone as high as I can or I'm being led by a son who can't even brush his teeth in the morning without help you know, fictitiously speaking or theoretically speaking. But um, so I think that back to the the question of family and non-family, the, I think as a family, I think to erase, I think family businesses 
need to recognize where they are strong and where they are not. And they need to do whatever they can to find the strength. It's like when you fill an advisory board. Don't fill it with your buddies. Don't fill it with people who are good at what you are. Don't fill it with the people you like to go smoke cigars and drink scotch with at the country club. Fill it with people who don't have your same skill sets, who don't have your same interests, who don't have even your same passions. I mean, surround yourself with people who have talents and interests and characteristics that you don't have so that you can teach them and they can teach you. The same holds true for a family business. I mean, I I love when I see, and I could sit here and rattle off name after name after name. I'm staring at the name of one right now. There's a family business in Orange County called Blythe Co. I used to work for them years ago. Um, Stephen Blythe started the company. He has since retired. His CEO, Lori, is not family. She's been running the company. She's been with the company, I think, 15 or 20 years. She's now leading the company. Stephen recognized that, A, I want to retire someday. B, there isn't necessarily a successor in my family that's either qualified or wants to be in the business. But we have company customers and employees who deserve to have great leadership. Well, I need to go find a great leader. Sometimes we find that person outside the business. Sometimes they work in the company and we move them up. And I don't know that story of where that went and how it got there. I know her, the new CEO or the the current CEO there. But I think just recognizing where you don't have skills and um, trying to find that person. I've seen great family businesses where the family name runs the company and they always will. And I've seen phenomenal family businesses where you know, our you know first bank, I'm going to use us as an example. The Deerberg family has owned the bank since 1910, 113 plus years old. Our CEO, who's retiring at the end of 2023, Shelly Seifert, non-family, uh, years and years of great leadership experience in the banking industry. Our new CEO, who has come in this year of 23 and takes over officially full-time as our CEO in January of 24, Michael Williamson, non-family, but he has so much experience in leadership that we recognize the importance of being led by the right person, regardless of their lineage and their background and their name. So, yeah, I think that you have to, as a family business, you have to be looking at, are the most qualified people in the right job? Whether it's the janitor or the CEO or anybody in between, let's make sure the most qualified person is in each job. It's a great point and really true for any company, but especially true for family companies Yeah, where you have the intersection of the temptation of leadership, but potentially even expectation of other family members. And it doesn't have to be son or daughter, brother, sister, cousin, whoever, you know, my expectation is that I'm going to, I'm entitled to this role or this opportunity. So now is the leader, do I cave to that entitlement? Do I help them find another path? Do I bring somebody in from the outside? Those types of challenges can certainly be unique. You know, the McElhaney company, which makes Tabasco sauce, most don't know them by McElhaney, but we all know by Tabasco. I'm sure everybody listening to this today has a bottle of Tabasco in their cabinet somewhere at home. I know I have several, you probably do too. I got some on my shelf behind me if you're watching. Um, they're, they are such a great example to me of having policies and procedures in place with family. No more than three family members of the McElhaney family can be in an executive role. No family member can report to another family member. Um, the CEO role isn't necessarily going to be family. They've, they've had now, I think, eight generations of CEOs. Five have been family, three have not. So that's an example of the right person gets the job. And again, it's it's all the way up the ranks. There's others that just have policies in place where in-laws can't come into the family or they can't get into the business. They can't be an owner. Um, just 
have a policy in place and stick to the policy, but, you know, be flexible enough that if there's a, you know, there's a family business I know really well where the, the wife married a man who's an attorney and they need a general counsel in the business, but their policy says it can't be him because he's an in-law. But logic says it's got to be him because he's got the experience. He's got the know-how. He knows the business. He's got the passion, you know, but the policy, it's like in, in soccer, you know, the, the game of soccer, there's the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. The ball rolls a little bit over the touchline. The whistle should be blown. But if it doesn't change the outcome of that play, let them play on. You know, if if the policy is no in-laws, but this guy is the best guy for the job and he happens to be the the the, the in-law, maybe make you make an exception. Yeah, make a good decision. Yeah. That's a great point. And I want to be very respectful of your time. I know we're running right up on an hour here. And you be careful because you mentioned having another conversation. To talk I'm about, in, man. Okay? I've had you on twice. I, I'm going to almost hold you to it. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> I, I would love to. But before we wrap this conversation up, you clearly have such an in-depth experience and knowledge with family businesses, among other things, but specifically for this conversation. If there are leaders, businesses, individuals who are looking to reach out to you to tap into your network and your expertise, how should they do so? Sir, thanks for that. I appreciate that. Um, well, Ed Hart, and if you see on the screen, if you're watching or just, you know, last name H-A-R-T, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm all over LinkedIn. I run into, I go to events and be, oh yeah, I saw your post on LinkedIn about such and such. And, you know, I really believe that, you know, building our personal and our, our organizational brand is important. I, I am surrounded by some tremendous brand experts who have really influenced me in the last several years. Uh, so just, you know, if I'm going to plug where I work again, I'm actually, if you're watching, I'm wearing the logo and I always wear the logo, but First Bank, again, family-owned business, first.bank forward slash family business. So if you're a family business owner or leader or just anybody interested in leadership in general, we have podcasts, webinars, articles, research, surveys, um, great stories of other leaders and other companies to learn from. I think one of the best ways we can learn is through other people's stories. And uh, so we have a lot of that on our website. Uh, my email is just ed.hart at f as in frank, b as in boy, ol.com, fbol.com. Happy to take an email. Um, yeah. And I, and, and my, like I said, I, I, I want to be fair. I am not a family business expert. My expertise is that I know experts, you know, I, I love to connect and nothing would make me happier than hearing from someone who says, I really need this. And then I go through my Rolodex in my head of who does that really well. And I'll give you two or three names, you know, and, uh, who you might need to talk to, to get that problem solved. When someone calls me and asks for, a connection. I'm I'm flattered, but what really flatters is when they do it again, because that means the first time it worked. Worked so out well. Reach out to me, and I'll be happy to find that right resource for you. And I will provide all of the links to everything you just mentioned, including your podcast and beyond, in appreciate the that. show notes, so everybody has that. Awesome. Appreciate that. As always, it has been my pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your time and all of your experience. I'm grateful for it. It is so great to see you again. Hopefully one of these days we can do it in person, but if not, well, I, I hope so. It sounds like that might work out in the near future. I so, and so. I get out to the East coast from time to time too. So one of these days we will, we will break bread in person. I'm looking forward to it. Me too, Michael. Thank you, buddy. It's good to see Take you. Care. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Ed, thank you for such a great conversation. I appreciate all of your stories, all of your perspective, your humble approach. Thank you so much. 
when we think about it, so many of these family experiences are universal to some degree. So many of these business experiences are universal to some degree. Now, the opportunities for them to overlap can certainly be unique in how and when they happen for different families and different businesses. But there is so much to learn from these conversations and these opportunities. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective with us today. Thank you, sir. Of course, before we go, let's shout out our sponsors one more time. Humantel. Head over to humantel.com and enter the code INQUASIVE25 for 25% off of all of their online training to learn how to accurately interpret what people are likely thinking and feeling based on their shifting facial expressions and body language in the context of the conversation. I highly recommend it. Please check it out. Emotional Intelligence Magazine at ei-magazine.com. That's where you find all of their emotional intelligence resources. I highly recommend you check it out. And yes, for the professional interviewers, please head over to certifiedinterviewer.com and explore the International Association of Interviewers. Check out the education, the investigative resources, the member benefits, the networking opportunities, so much over there. See what's right for you and your team. And while you're there, please dive into the Certified Forensic Interviewer designation program and see if that is a level of elite status and professionalism that your team is ready to level themselves up for. I can't thank you all enough for continuing to be here and listening to these conversations. Thank you so much. Hopefully you're continuing to learn more and get more from them week after week. Please let us know what do you like, what don't you like? Would you like to hear more of, hear less of? What directions would you like to see us take? That feedback means a lot to us and we would like to hear it. Please do all of the things the algorithms ask us to do. We appreciate that. Like the show, subscribe to the show, share it, comment it. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate all of the additional support as well. Please stay safe, take care of each other, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. 